sworn to global governance, as they call it, where they bring in a world of servitude, basically, to the world state. That's what's astonishing to people. They don't think about the words that are used, even the term that was given to us after the GATT Treaty, and we watched the, the factories being shipped off to China to be set up from the Western world, all paid for by our tax money, by the way, because we promised, we, we under our government, is they, they made us responsible for payments of losses and income to those factories until they were set up and running in China. Astonishing stuff. But as I say, most folk are oblivious to it. They adapt to everything, unfortunately. Back in a moment after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Before the break, I was discussing the GATT Treaty and how we watched everything who noticed, watched all the factories going off to China. So the West built up China, gave them incredible financial aid and help and technique uh, so they could become the manufacturer for the world. And the term that they used for the economists used for the Western world, that which was left, was to be a service economy. Now remember what the word service means. There's different levels of meaning, in fact, because the world they're going to bring in is to be a world of service. That ties in with Carl Quigley's statement where the new feudal overlords in this feudal system will be the CEOs of big international corporations. We're all going to be in service to them. We're also put down as the guarantors of all debt. We service the debt. We never think about these things, but lawyers certainly would understand they must use all the different meanings of certain words to win their cases. And meanwhile, as I say, we play ahead and we adapt. We play and we adapt to our lives, to everything that happens. As Darwin said, we're the most adaptable species on the planet. That was echoed, of course, by Singer and other ones to do with behavior modification. And then Bertrand Russell, of course, one of the masters at this, who sat in all the big think tanks in the 19. 30s, 40s, 50s, and even the 60s, where they planned the future, the one we're going through right now, the global society, which they're terming governance, you see. And people in the street hear these terms, the slogans, and they start to part them themselves without thinking. We, we find we come to our conclusions by osmosis, not by reasoning, but by repetition from media and magazines and newspapers. Yet they do tell us where they're taking us all the time, all the time. When I was reading from the book by Julian Huxley, brother of Aldo Huxley, he talked about the depopulation program that would go along with this global society, and he said we must think the unthinkable, talking to his own peer group, of course. In other words, they must start literally putting into action plans to sterilize and depopulate through illnesses, manufactured illnesses, the population of the planet. He called it the unthinkable. Most people who are fighting the system don't get that through their heads, that it's actually happening. And I say we at the bottom must start to think and accept the unthinkable, that they've been doing it, you see, because the statistics certainly will stand up to prove that. It is 
wasn't until you understand that that you truly understand what you're up against. There is nothing that happens by accident. The mass sterilization of the males in the West that started from the 1950s, like clockwork, just bang, away it went with inoculations to the present time with all of the bisphenols and other artificial estrogens in the food, in the tin cans, and even in the beer cans, by the way. That's why they targeted beer cans to get the guys. But also in the, the makeup of women who would apply it to their skin and it would go right into their, their body and affect the male fetus. So that was, that's what you call bio-warfare. It's a form of biochemical warfare. Planned, discussed, and known about the actions of these particular chemicals were understood in the 1800s. Nothing new. And when the United Nations gives its statistics every year, calmly, quietly, without adding anything to it, they just blandly say that uh, over 75% of all male sperm is basically immotile. It's of no use. They don't make any comment to it. Why not? It should be a crisis, but it's because that is the agenda. All we hear about now is sustainability. Sustainability that started off with Mr. Rockefeller and his particular foundations and think tanks. When you go into the reports, the think tanks, and I read different reports. The first one was from a think tank that did the military uh, observations for the future for Britain and NATO. And it coincided with the one that came out later from the U.S., uh, DCDC. That's from the official military Marine Corps, and you find it on the website. And what they said, they all, they all said the same thing. I think their one came out on the 23rd of January for the, for, the, for the U.S. military, that is. The DCDC report states that economic globalization and indiscriminate migration may lead to levels of international integration that effectively bring interstate warfare to an end. By states, we mean nations. However, it would also result in communities of interest at every level of society that transcend national boundaries and could resort to the use of violence. They also go into more of this on page 12 of the same report. Changing values. Now, remember what Huxley said. Mr. Julian Huxley, he said they'd have to gradually introduce through different techniques that he meant entertainment through education and so on. They'd have to gradually devalue human life and get us to accept the devaluation of human life. The easiest way, of course, was to, to give us a, a, a pretty sick society. We have lived through it. Those of us who are a bit older have already lived through all the changes that came through the culture industry where sex was promoted to the nth degree, exactly as Huxley said it would be. He said himself it wouldn't matter because it would be like eunuchs, uh, uh, entertaining eunuchs. In other words, you'd be sterile. But he also said that um, you'd have to bring a form of degradation, in. and we've had a, a degraded society when we have corpses hanging in art galleries, wax cor corpses for, for art. And they're on display, and you can pay and go and watch them, and ooh and ah and all that kind of stuff, alongside the jars of the fetuses. Once again, the 
devaluation of human life, and we gradually, gradually, gradually accept it. And so, if they just take your neighbor away and make piecemeal of him, what's the big deal? You literally think of it in economic terms, that's what's coming. This is secularism and materialism from that report are likely to grow in significance in an increasingly competitive, interconnected world that's also interdependent. Reflecting trends that are already well established in the more developed regions, meanwhile cultural mixing, the pace of change, and the rapid confluence of modern ideas and traditional values are likely to increase the trend towards moral relativism. That's exactly what I was saying. There's no right, no wrong anymore. So what is the attitude? Moral relativism. And increasingly pragmatic values that's been promoted through this, this education system for about 20, 30 years, probably 30 years. These developments will trigger responses from complex traditionally defined communities as well as among significant minorities, which will seek the sanctuary provided by more rigid belief systems, including religious orthodoxy, which is, I guess is Christianity and so on, talking about, and doctrinaire political ideologies such as popularism and Marxism. So they've already got it all figured out exactly how society will react as we go through the last of these particular changes. And we won't really care that much because, you see, if you don't have a cohesive, unified culture, you have moral relativism and no one stands up for anyone else. Therefore, only those who are organized, the big NGO, non-governmental organizations that are funded by the foundations, have a say. That's how it works. This is warfare. You see, this is warfare technique. Geopolitical, too. Owing to this increased interdependence, intensifying competition, most states will be bound together by their economic linkages. That's already been done through so many treaties. And it's going further now with countries having to bail out other banks, countries, transnational. But will nonetheless be preoccupied by the need to sustain national economic vitality and political advantage. Individual well-being will depend increasingly on access to and exploitation of opportunity within the globalized economy. But most people will nonetheless regard that the operation of globalized processes as, in many ways, threatening. This is likely to result in local arrangements to mitigate the harsher effects of globalization on, and the rigorous operation of the market on some countries or communities in the interest of socioeconomic stability or competitive advantage. So individually, we're supposed to get stepped up to an even higher level of individual competition, and then locally, as a group, you'll be put into more competition. This is all part of the United Nations ideal world idea of communitarianism. We'll all be born into a system that we were needed. We won't get born if you're not needed for an economic function. And then we'll be competing with other communities as time goes on. This is from top think tanks. They don't, they don't sit and pop LSD to come up with this stuff and go home and forget it all. This is what all the think tanks from the CFR, the U.S. military think tanks at the top, the British, NATO, etc., all say the exact same things of what's coming for the next 50-odd years. 
even talk about on page 100 the, the development of neutron weapons. Neutron weapons. The ability to inflict organic destruction while leaving infrastructure intact. So again, it's all economically based. We're just, we're just uh, unfortunately in the way. Collateral damage, that's people. But the, the infrastructure, the buildings and so on will remain intact. So this might make it a weapon of choice for extreme ethnic cleansing in an increasingly populated world. Doesn't that make you feel better? This is from your top think tanks. They don't work for you, by the way. They work for this agenda. As do the top boys in your militaries across the world. We're already globalized. They're just putting the final signatures on the last part of it. Back with more after these messages. through the matrix, being a part of that DC, DC, whatever report it was from the, the US military think tank, the top one that agreed with everything from the British Department of Defense, which also did the one for NATO, and it basically agrees completely with the Council on Foreign Relations one. It doesn't surprise me because, I mean, the Council on Foreign Relations uh, have their men and all the different think tanks involved. So it's always the same agenda and the same visions of the future because, you see, you make the future happen. You don't let it happen if you want to keep control. You make it happen, and that's what we're living through right now. As I say, we're just, unfortunately, we're just the eggs that have to get broken to make the big omelets, as Mr. Rockefeller said. But they go, they all, they go on and on about uh, national sovereignty, how it will, it will gradually, gradually turn into international sort of ideas of sovereignty. We'll, we'll act together as regions and we'll kind of forget over maybe a generation about our national sovereignty altogether. That's what they've been working on through the schools for a long, long time. And for and it's, it's actually working with a lot of people already. So these guys use science. That's the technique of it. Science is the key to everything. And they use that to the maximum. And with the Internet, they've never had such an inflow of data on every individual. They can differ us all sussed out individually. They know what we are, what we like, what we like to do, what our hobbies are, and even what we think about different political ideas. We help them constantly. It's the greatest tool I've ever had. So their pulse, the pulse of the people are always, has always been taken. Now, part of the whole idea, again, for sustainability and this whole idea to work, a world of service, they have to have a threat, you see, to replace traditional wars. And the Club of Rome was given that task, this big think tank, to come up with an, a, an enemy, a new enemy, in a time where there are no national enemies. And they, they, lived, they, they did literally look at the alien agenda threat, that kind of stuff. Could they make that work with enough movies and sci-fis and, and late-night talk shows that would go into the spooky stuff? Could they really do that? And they could, but it would take an awful long time, maybe a couple of generations, maybe more to really build the possibility up to the deck to accept that was real and then bring on a fake threat from outer space or whatever. Even Ronald Reagan talked about that many times in his speeches. He said the planet would only unite. If we had another threat, such as an invasion from out there, we see the same things now 
with uh, different governments in the world talking about the same thing asteroids will do as well. An asteroid might come in one day, maybe a thousand years from now, maybe 50. Uh, let's do something about it. So the whole world unites to, to fight, defeat a common enemy. But the Club of Rome thought that the easiest way to do it was through propaganda, gradually building through education, through the schools, to do with sustainability. And that man was going to destroy the planet was the idea. So man himself was the enemy, the new enemy of the world. Remember, government needs enemies to stay in existence. That was supposedly the reason he came into existence in the first place. You know, the big guy who's six feet four says, I'll protect this little boy, this bunch here, from that bunch over there. That's really how it kind of starts. And if there's no enemies left, and they're taxing the people like crazy, people get upset. During the whole Cold War, we were taxed to the hilt as the big military-industrial complex of the Western world made fortunes by giving us latest versions of missile after missile every other month. We just had to have, because the enemy had even better ones. It was all nonsense, of course, but money was taxed like crazy off the public. And they didn't mind so much because, after all, they're being protected. That's what they were told. Now is to save the planet from us. And remember, eugenicists started off this whole idea. It's not that there's too many people. As Huxley said, there's too many of the wrong sort of people. What did he mean by that? Those with the lower IQs, those who were not up in his class. Or those who were not in a scientific league to help his class. And they also foresaw the time when industry would be gone because it was part of the plan always to move it to China. What would you do with all those people who had nothing to sell but their labor? That really is what's behind it, not because it's overpopulation. So the Club of Rome came up with that idea, as I say, and that's what's working today. They will not change their plans. Even if we're up to our eyeballs in snow, they'll, they'll yap on about global warming. That's the mandate. That's how schizophrenic it will become. They're all on board with this. Now, this is an article from The Telegraph on the 30th March. Rise of sea levels is the greatest lie ever told. Remember, they told us years ago that the islands in the Pacific were going to sink. And by, by now, actually, they should be under three feet of water, if I remember right, from the United Nations and all that. This is by Christopher Booker, 28th of March, actually, 2009. It says, if one thing more than any other is used to justify proposals that the world must spend tens of trillions of dollars on combating global warming, there's the belief that we face a disastrous rise in sea levels, Antarctic and Greenland ice caps will melt, and we are told warming oceans will expand, and the result will be catastrophe. Although the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change only predicts a sea level rise of 59 centimeters or 17 inches by 2100, Al Gore in his Oscar-winning film, An Inconvenient Truth, went much further, talking of 20 feet and showing computer graphics of cities, etc. We'll be back with more. It's a very interesting article by a true expert. Back after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
this is cutting to the matrix. Reading an article from the Telegraph, written by Christopher Booker. The article is called "The Greatest Lie Ever Told," and he goes on to say the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, blah blah blah, predicts sea level rises of 17 inches by 2100. Al Gore and his Oscar-winning film and an inconvenient truth went much further, talking of 20 feet and showing computer graphics of cities such as Shanghai and San Francisco half underwater. It's been in all the sci-fi movies too, isn't it? Predictive programming. We all know the graphics showing central London in similar plight as for tiny islands such as the Maldives and to, as Tuvalu, as Prince Charles likes to tell us, and the Archbishop of Canterbury was again parting last week. They are due to vanish. In other words, they're all in on it. They're all on board. The pirates always get on board with the same nonsense. But he goes on to talk about um, a real expert, one who did the legwork and who worked for the, the big organizations at the top. He didn't just build computers, even out to check himself. I mean, isn't it the most practical thing to do? He says, but if there's one scientist who knows more about sea levels than anyone else in the world, there's a Swedish geologist and physicist, Niels Alex Morner, formerly chairman of the INQUA, International Commission on Sea Level Change. So he's a chairman. And the uncompromising verdict of Dr. Morner, who for 35 years has been using every known scientific method to study sea levels all over the globe, is that this talk about the sea rising is nothing but a colossal scare story. So they're using fear and nonsense to terrify us into compliance to do with sustainability and population reduction. And, of course, to fleece us out of trillions more of dollars, perpetual slavery, in other words, to pay off debt you can't pay off. Despite fluctuations down as well as up, the sea is not rising, he says. It hasn't risen in 50 years. If there's any rise this century, it will not be more than 10 centimeters or 4 inches, with an uncertainty of plus or minus 10 centimeters. And quite apart from examining the hard evidence, he says the elementary laws of physics, latent heat needed to melt ice, tells us that the apocalypse conjured up by Al Gore and company could not possibly come about. The reason why Dr. Morner, probably a Stockholm professor, is so certain that these claims about sea level are, are to rise is wrong is that they're all based on computer model predictions. They buy, they, they buy crisis computers and, and tell them, they build it in, we want these answers. Yeah. Give us good graphics and stuff and, and, and scales and all that because they like to show the public graphs since the days of Malthus. This is whereas his findings are based on going into the field to observe what is actually happening in the, the, real, the real world. <laughs> when running the International Commission on Sea Level Change, he launched a special project on the Maldives, whose leaders have for 20 years been calling for vast sums of international aid to stave off disaster. Of course, it's a great scam. Six times he and his expert team visited the islands to confirm that the sea level has not risen for half a century. Before announcing his findings, he offered to show the inhabitants a film explaining why they had nothing to worry about. The government refused to let it be shown <laughs> because there's so much, so much money to gain if it went through, right? Evans a great con, isn't it? Similarly, in Tuvalu, where local leaders have been calling for the inhabitants to be evacuated for 20 years, the sea has, if anything, dropped in recent decades. The only evidence the scaremongers can cite is based on the fact that the extracting groundwater for pineapple 
growing has allowed seawater to seep in to replace it. Meanwhile, Venice has been sinking rather than the Adriatic rising, says Dr. Morner. See, the facts don't suit. I mean, just go out and measure the things rather than stare at this silly little computer from the crisis creation company. One of his most shocking discoveries was why the IPCC, that's a big panel paid by the UN, and there's all kinds on there, even janitors, this has been able to show sea levels rising by 2.3 millimeters a year until 2003, even its own satellite-based evidence showed no upward trend. But suddenly the graph tilted upwards because the IPC's favored experts had drawn on the finding of a single tide gauge in Hong Kong Harbor showing a 2.3 millimeter rise. One report. It's all based on one report. The entire global sea level projection was then adjusted. So they adjusted the whole sea for the whole planet on one tide, one incoming tide gauge in Hong Kong Harbor. That's what it's all based on. So they adjusted it upwards by a corrective factor, as they called it, of 2.3 millimeters, because the IPCC scientists admitted they needed, they needed to show a trend. That's their words. <laughs> and so we thought we could change our behavior to suit this, understand that, and, and uh, become depopulated because of fraud. It's only fraud because it's an agenda, which we must believe in true Orwellian fact, uh, manner, true Orwellian. It's not good enough to tell them what they want to hear. We've got to believe it. So there's a, a very good article to read, and I'll put these links up at the end of the show on my site, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And, you know, our most favored nation trading partner is China, as everyone who buys anything today knows. And going back to that article I read from the Department of Defense and the U.S. military Marine Corps' main think tank, where they talk about the interdependence and the coming together of nations more globally, we'll fight things globally or regionally rather than nationally, you see. We'll take regional partners. And on the Mail Online, it says here, China's high-tech death van. They've got tech death vans in China because they're very practical and pragmatic. Nothing goes to waste in China. Where criminals are executed and then their organs are sold on the black market. And they show you a photograph of these new vans they have. I guess they've got little fridges in it for the organs. And they show you a prisoner getting pushed in the back. We strapped on an electronic trolley that then moves them backwards, then give them three different injections. And I guess when they declare them brain dead, that's when they harvest the organs. They go to very wealthy people. So it's a going concern. Going concern. Under the guise, of course, that the guys are criminal. And I always say crime pays, but not for the criminal. It's for the guys at the top, the real ones. And this is from 27th of March, 2009. Death will soon come for Jiang Yong. A corrupt local planning official with a taste for the high life, Yong solicited money from businessmen eager to expand in China's economic boom. Sharing gifts on his mistress, known as Madame Tang, an unmarried official took more than one million pounds, that's about two million dollars, in bribes from entrepreneurs wanting permission to build skyscrapers on land which had previously been protected from development. 
services, but Yong, a portly, bespectacled figure, was caught by the Chinese authorities during a purge on corrupt local officials last year. Confessed and was sentenced to death. He also gets sentenced to death in China for, for uh, failure to pay our income taxes. This is the model state for the world, remember, we've all got to emulate China and the other parts of their, their system, which is one child policy per family, and many other aspects as well. So China executed 1,715 people last year, so one more death would hardly be remarkable. Now remember, again, going back to what I was talking about with Huxley and so on, they must devalue human life. They must be devalued. Right? And we're at that stage. And even this article is another step towards it, because China wants to export these wagons, where they can put you and kill you and strip you and offer your organs so fast so efficient that uh, they're hoping that other people will cash, uh, cash in on this whole deal. It says uh, there'll be nothing uh, ordinary about Yong's death by lethal injection. Unless he wins an appeal, he will draw his final breath strapped inside a vehicle that has been specially developed to make executions more cost-effective and efficient. Everything's economic. Economics these days. Economics. This is an example of chilling echoes of the gas wagon projected by or pioneered by the Nazis, etc., etc. The gun is, is a similar type, only even better, more efficient. You can drive it around, pick you up, and do the thing on the spot. It says, um, after trials of the mobile execution service were launched quietly three years ago, it was in the papers at the time, but they, they tried to keep it out of the Western papers. It was then hushed up to prevent an international row about the abuse of human rights before the Olympics last summer. And, of course, the media all complied. It says these vehicles are now being deployed across China. The number of executions is expected to rise. So it's a going concern. I'll just keep creating more crime. It's, it's, all they do is create more crime on the books until everything's a crime. And they can really bump up their business and body parts. So executions are expected to rise to a staggering 10,000 people this year. This is, this, is, uh, this is not impossible for you, given that at least six to eight crimes, including tax evasion and fraud, are punishable by death in China. Developed by Yingguan Auto, which also makes bulletproof limousines for the new rich in this vast country of 1.3 billion people, the vans appear unremarkable. They cost £60,000 or $120,000 each can reach top speeds of 80 miles an hour and look like police vehicles on patrol. Maybe the police will start buying them. Maybe they will with cutbacks and all the rest of it. Maybe more efficient in the Western world, won't it? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, nothing, nothing would surprise me now. Nothing. Because we have been deculturalized. We're in a state of apathy. Most folk are narcissistic. They live in a little bubble. And they really don't care about anyone else as long as it's not them. That's how far the war on us has got to. Moral relativism. So what? There's nothing moral to stand up for anymore. That's the point of it. So that's what they're doing in China. And you can read this article. I'll put the link up for that too. Then, of course, in China as well, they think it's China. Apparently, they've been hacking all the government computers across the world. And it makes me wonder about this whole article um, how come how come uh, we at the bottom level get sold very expensive to us anyway spyware systems they generally don't do anything 
I often wondered, in fact, if they're the authorised ones, the big ones are always popular, to gather data. It probably makes it more easy to, to gather data on you, in fact, when you're scanning through all your stuff. probably sends it all off somewhere. But remember, all our computers must be hackable and have back doors that government agencies can get into. They're made that way by law, a law that was passed in the 90s. Meanwhile, we're told that our governments... Now, our governments don't buy 50, 100, $2 spyware programs or use the freebies that we do. Whatever they're using guarantee you is in the millions of bucks. And yet, supposedly, they're hacked. That's what we're being told by a system that will come through email, uh, download software into your computer, and then turn on even your controls for microphone, etc., and listen to what you're saying in the room. There was articles out in the Western world, because you see, by law, as I say, they put all these back doors for government agencies into computers. Our own governments have been doing that since they gave us computers. So here they are complaining that China's doing it on them. It's astonishing. And apparently, it's mainly to do with the Dalai Lama because of Tibet and China wants it back. So it was Dalai Lama who first came forward and asked Canadian researchers to look into his computer system and he found the stuff. Then they found it in almost every other country. But let's be honest, I mean, the NSA for the West is doing exactly the same thing across the world too, to every other country too. There's nothing private on the computer unless you truly are up the NSA's level. Nothing's private. And remember, they had it. They had that whole system long, long before we uh, even heard of the Internet. It was the military-industrial complex that used Internet, as we now call it. Uh, I think there's Sam in Australia. There is Sam there on the telephone, so let's see if he's there. Hey, Hello? Alan, how are you? I'm hanging on here. <laughs> It's good to talk to you again. Good to hear you as well. I've been away for a few weeks, but uh, had your, your, all your old podcasts to listen through to, so um, pretty amazing. And I've also uh, got your books as well, so yes. um, thank you for sending those through, and I, I managed to read them. They are fantastic, man. Um, I've got a few questions I'd like to email you in the future. I want to just read through through the, all three again, mm-hmm. but just amazing in terms of, I mean, you know, I'm just really grateful uh, for the knowledge, but also the fact that it just would have taken me years and years and years to to sort of get through just by, you know, just reading reading these books. So you've saved me a lot of time too, so thank you very much. Well, time is the one thing we don't have these days, eh? No, no, it's uh, pretty scary. But um, have you... Uh, I, was, I was I just watched a couple of uh, docos uh, recently. That uh, I'm unsure whether you've seen... Both of them. One's a CBC documentary called Doomsday Called Off. No, I didn't see that one. No. Have, a, have a good look at it. It's quite funny uh, in the sense that it's about, you know, this whole climate change debate. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's pretty savaging in terms of cutting, you know, it basically disproves climate change. Yes. You know, and it's yeah. amazing because, you know, they go through how the IPCC has put all this together, um, you know, and that it's basically just a political agenda. Yes. Uh, and the fact that they've taken out the two very, very crucial 
um, elements of the whole global warming debate, and that is, you know, historically they've taken out the medieval warming period, which you've spoken of, yep. and they take out the last mini ice age. Now, if you've got yep. that, what you've got is the hockey stick theory, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And basically, they also talk about the fact that you know we didn't actually start looking at the stars um, physically until we actually started measuring this. And it's just block by, you know, just point by point, they just take the whole thing apart. And they interview a lot of, you know, very uh, respected scientists. Yeah. And things like, you know, the whole, you know, models that you're, you're talking about, all this false stuff that they you know, feed into the computers. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, they're based on things like, you know, surface temperature. Yes. Yeah, you know, there is a. They interview the guy. There's a, there's a professor there that actually said, "Well, that's there's got to be a better way of doing that." Mm -hmm. So he had a look at, um, you know, all these weather satellite data from globally um, from the last ten years, and he discovered in the in the lower and upper atmosphere where most of the climate change business gets done, there has been no, none, nada mm -hmm. difference in temperature. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> the whole thing is such thing a scam. Is, yeah, the thing is, though, this is what I'm saying, we're going through schizophrenia here because the elite aren't ever going to back off because it seems to be their main plan. And they've already taken so many years now to indoctrinate the youth into this greening thing to bring the world together. And we even see it with upcoming riots. It's going to be uh, uh, they're demanding jobs from the government. Uh, and uh, I call it changes in the weather because they want the weather to, to be altered as well or see if the planet through weather change, etc. It's so incredible that that's what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm, like, I'm, I'm complete. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. Great. because I've always been suspicious of it. The way they pushed it through in Australia mm. was that they had um, basically one uh, documentary showing, uh, yeah. which was uh, basically, I forgot what it was, it was the one uh, that was first made by the English producer. Um, yeah. it, it was, you know, they, they screened that, and then they had a, a panel of ex experts um, behind, you know, after the thing, debating it, and that was yeah. it. From that moment on, that was the... The, you know, that, that sort of nodal point where they just went, okay, now we believe it. Now the whole country believes it. It was just amazing how quick. Um, but, you know, to the credit of most of my friends who are skeptics, but they're not, you know, they're, they're, they're still asleep. Um, yeah. You know, even yeah, they were... Every, every, country, every, country, yeah, every country has got its, um, got its, uh, its uh, member of parliament or congress uh, to do with a department of global... Uh, or, or, environment basically all these guys are completely on board with this in every country that's and, right and uh, they must and they must know the, you know the these facts they must know sure to do it. Yeah. yeah and they still go ahead with it so it, it makes you see stuff in a 
mm-hmm. in a different way. But anyway, this, the second documentary I wanted to point out was um, something that was on Australian ABC called Four Corners. Um, and so there's an interesting, there's an interesting, there's a couple of interesting uh, docos there. Um, investigative journalism, but there's one called the Dishonouring of Marcus Einfield. Now, Marcus Einfield is this federal court judge who, or ex-federal court judge, who's now been jailed. Mm -hmm. Um, And the whole thing centred around the fact that he tried to avoid a speeding fine ticket. He claimed that his friend, you know, was driving the car that day, and it turns Mm -hmm. out that the friend that he claimed had driven the car had been dead for three years, so then basically he's just been sentenced for um, perverting the course of justice, yeah. um, which is lands him two years in jail. But it's interesting because through all these lies and his, with his position and stuff, they were able to, to track where he was that day, what he'd eaten in, in lunch and where he was. Mm-hmm. They, in the documentary, the guy comes on, one of the policemen comes on and goes, yes, well, we got, they got gigabytes. <laughs> Yeah. Of data on this guy. Now, when you, we, you know, just basically his trip from the restaurant to, yeah, mm-hmm. the city back to his house. Now, yeah. the thing is, they're able to go back and work out exactly what he had done, exactly what he'd eaten. Yeah. And so, anyone ever says that, you know, we're not being watched, you're being paranoid, you know, there is no Big Brother state. Have a look at any crime that's sort of, you know, big crime and watch how they can piece together the phone calls, what was said, yep. what was recorded. How can they dig all this up? Mm-hmm. We are being watched. I mean, we are being so, watched. It's just so elementary. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I've read many articles here from mainstream, again, from the big uh, the, the police organizations, etc., and the NSA telling us that. They, they keep telling us that we're watching it. They're watching everything we do. And right now they're funneling all information, phone, fax, computer, through central lines of of, uh, filtering now so they can monitor all data going through the one system. That's what all the big servers have been up to for the last few years. We are completely under totalitarian regime. We are. We absolutely are. Well, thanks for calling, Sam. Thanks, Alan. That's the music now. So from Hamish and myself in Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.